and welcome to the Psych and Business Podcast, where we highlight the integration of psychology and psychological principles into the world of business and organizations. I'm your host, Dr. Ernest Wade. So today I'd like to talk about self-confidence. So we're going to go back to talking about some of the things that are really important for leaders to have. And so I want to talk a little bit about self-confidence. Now, when we talk about self-confidence, we're talking about a state of being. So your self-confidence can change from moment to moment, and your self-confidence can change from situation to situation. You can feel confident in one situation or about doing one specific task and less confident in another situation or about doing something else. So let's talk a little bit about the research around self-confidence. So the research around self-confidence actually started with uh, Nathan Brandon, who's a psychologist, and now there's a lot of research around self-confidence and how it's linked to success. There's actually a lot of research that shows that higher self-confidence is associated with things like people getting better jobs, having increased life satisfaction, and just overall happiness. So let's start with a definition. Self-confidence is defined as an individual's expectations of performance and self-evaluations of abilities and prior performances. It's also defined by the APA, the American Psychological Association, as the belief that one is capable of successfully meeting the demands of a task. So if we boil all of this down, we're basically saying that self-confidence is the basic belief in yourself, if you believe in yourself or not. Now, there are two types of self-confidence. There is general self-confidence, which is basically influenced by your self-esteem, and it's developed early in childhood. So let's define what self-esteem is. Self-esteem is is similar to self-confidence, but a little bit different. So self-esteem refers to whether you appreciate and value yourself, and it's really looking at your self-worth, something that's more of a trait, as, as I said, something that's built up early in your childhood, and it's fairly consistent over time. Now, the other type of self-confidence is more of a situational self-confidence, and that is influenced by the specific environment that you're in or the specific task that you're in. So let's go back and talk a little bit more about the constant self-confidence, which really comes from your self-esteem. So this is influenced by three factors. The first one is genetics. So your genes can influence the degree to which you are generally self-confident based upon your self-esteem. The other one is the treatment from other people. So if people treat you well, if people treat you with respect and treat you like you belong or that you understand or that you're qualified and competent, you're more likely to have higher self-esteem and have higher self-confidence because people are treating you that way. People look at you for leadership. People look at you for direction. You're more likely to believe in yourself because other people believe in you. The third one comes from the choices that you make, uh, the risks that you take, and, and your thought behavior, how you think about things, how you think about challenges. So if you, if you take risks, if you make choices that, that are risky and they don't go well, how do you respond? How do you think about these choices? Now, people who generally have low self-esteem will basically ascribe internal traits to their failures. So when they fail at something, they're going to blame themselves. But when they succeed at something, they're going to ascribe it more to external factors. So they're going to say, well, it, was, it wasn't it was really me. It was the group that I was working with, or I just got lucky. They won't take responsibility for those things. So this is really interesting because you need both 
high self-esteem and that specific self-confidence in your own leadership abilities in order to be an effective leader. You really need to have both of these because when you are trying to influence other people, people who are your collaborators, people who work for you or work with you, people that you expect to follow you, you need to have that confidence in yourself that's pretty constant, as well as believe in your leadership abilities, your abilities to lead them to a specific task. And that actually instills within them a belief in themselves, which allows them to get the work done. So a lot of times you'll see this where people believe if we have this person leading us, we can we can be successful. You see it a lot in, in sports teams. If a specific player is missing, the team loses confidence in themselves. But if a specific player is there, a quarterback or, or a soccer player, whoever it is, the team begins to believe in themselves because of their belief in that person. Now, uh, low self-confidence is something that we all struggle with from time to time. And it's actually pretty common that everybody will struggle with self-confidence from time to time in situation to situation. So an example of this actually, I think, can be found in people who we expect to be proficient to a very high degree. Now, two examples that come to mind are uh, Maya Angelou and Albert Einstein. So Maya Angelou, after having written numerous books, I think it was on her 11th book, still expressed feelings of low self-confidence. She felt like she didn't belong. And even Albert Einstein felt like his work got way more attention than it deserved. And this is an example of what we typically known to be the imposter syndrome. Now, the imposter syndrome is also known as the imposter phenomenon, and many, many people suffer from it. The imposter phenomenon was actually discovered by two psychologists, Susan Imes and Pauline Ross Clance, in around 1978. They did some research, specifically starting with women, and found that successful women often felt like they didn't belong, often didn't feel like they had the skills and the abilities to be where they were. They felt like it was more external factors that they were lucky and didn't believe in themselves. And so even though the imposter phenomenon was first discovered in women, it's actually pretty pervasive around all groups of all intellects, of all skills and abilities. We see this pretty pervasively. Now, leaders are often susceptible to this because it can be very isolating to be a leader. And it's not always thought of as acceptable to admit that you're not sure or that you're afraid or that you're worried or that you don't know something. That's seen as, as undermining your leadership. And this actually ties into the imposter syndrome because there's this other thing called pluralistic ignorance. And that basically means that each of us doubts our abilities in private, but we believe that we are the only ones who are doubting ourselves. And because no one else talks about it, we don't share our doubts. We don't share our fears and concerns typically, it reinforces this thought that we're the only ones who aren't good enough, who aren't able to be successful. And as I said, everybody experiences this, including myself. For example, I was fortunate earlier in the week to be at a symposium with some of my fellow coaches, and we had a really great time. I learned a lot. But when I first got there, I must admit I had some low self-confidence there. I felt a bit of a fraud because I was in this room with all of these really great and accomplished coaches, and I felt like perhaps I didn't belong. Interestingly enough, this came up. The concept of the imposter phenomenon came up, and many of us were able to admit that we actually felt like frauds being in that room. 
because we were able to talk about it, we were able to identify, oh, I'm not the only one feeling this way. But very often, most people don't talk about this. Now, I have a client who I have worked with for years, and every single time this client gets a promotion or gets a new job or moves into a new setting, the first question they ask themselves is, what if I'm not good enough? What if I fail? What if everybody else is better than I? Because they believe intrinsically that everybody else is better than they are and that they're, they're destined to, to fail. So how do you overcome this? Because as I mentioned, we all experience lapses in self-confidence. And as a leader, it can be really detrimental if you have low self-esteem and low specific self-confidence in your leadership abilities. Well, there's three things that I have learned to do with myself and that I have worked with others to do. The first thing is to challenge those thoughts. Challenge the thoughts that are coming up, that inner voice that is telling you you're not good enough, that you're going to fail, that other people are better than you, that you're the only one who can accomplish the task or the activity that's set forth for you. And a good way of doing that is by looking at your previous experiences. Look at your previous experiences, and more often than not, you will find that you have been successful, you have accomplished great things, and that you are capable. You have the competencies and the capabilities to accomplish whatever task or goal that you have set out to be to do. As a leader, look back at your previous leadership experience, and you will more often than not find that you have led well, you do have the training, you do have the experience to be successful, and you have done so. And then the second thing is envision success. Now, athletes do this a lot. They envision themselves running the race, hitting the ball, kicking the ball, throwing the pass, whatever the sport that it is, they envision themselves being successful in that. And this is really powerful because what we start to do there is create the mental pathways, the neural pathways that allow us to be successful. So it's really important that we envision success. It's like speaking well of yourself, which I think is really important because there's enough people out there who are going to speak poorly of you. You should be advocating for yourself and speaking well of yourself. So make sure that you're envisioning success. And then the third one comes up for a lot of people who feel like, well, I don't have the experience. This is my first time doing this. And I say, mistakes are okay. Failure is a great teacher. So give yourself permission to fail. Give yourself to make mistakes. Because everyone does it. Every single person fails. Every single person makes mistakes. There are great examples of this. J.K. Rawlings, who couldn't get a book published until about her 11th or 12th publisher. The Wright Brothers, who failed many, many times before they actually built a successful plane. Abraham Lincoln, who lost numerous jobs, was defeated in numerous elections, failed in numerous businesses, a great leader. Edison, failed numerous times in numerous experiments. Henry Ford, Einstein, Oprah, Jordan. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Failure is not something that should stop you. Failure is something that can teach you and help you be successful in the future. I look at failure as something that helps me be better. The best lessons I've learned are from failing. And so don't be afraid of failure. Don't let it bring down your self-confidence. Rather, use it to build up your self-confidence. Once you failed at something, you are less likely to repeat that failure. You're more likely to be successful at something that you have failed before. Okay, so that's a lot of information. So just to summarize, remember, challenge your thoughts. Challenge those negative thoughts with your previous experience, with positive thoughts. Envision success. See yourself being that successful leader that people are listening to, that people are following. And then allow yourself to make mistakes. Mistakes are just an opportunity to learn and grow. Okay? 
Thanks for listening. I hope you'll join us next time. Thank you.